Grace to you and peace from Jesus Christ our Lord and God our Heavenly Father. So, some of you may know, but before I went to seminary, I was a musician. Not full-time, I did another job, but I was always playing music on the side, and when I was in college, half of my major was in percussion. And part of that, in going to school for music, is learning about all different musical forms and techniques and ways to arrange a song. And one of those is called a recapitulation, which is where a theme from the beginning or a melody starts at the start, then the song goes off and does something else, and then it comes back again real strong from the beginning, and it makes you feel like home. And we have something of that in our text today with uh, our gospel lesson and Jesus in the wilderness being tested. Because if you think back to Exodus, there's a lot of echoes happening. So with, with Exodus and Israel coming out of Egypt, they came through the Red Sea, as Peter puts it, through their baptism in the Red Sea. And they go out into the wilderness to be tempted and to be tested. And in that time, God provides everything that they need. He feeds them manna, he gives them quail, he leads them with fire and water. He gives them water from a rock or a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. He gives them everything they could need. But how do they react? They don't trust God. They're constantly looking back to Egypt saying, we're out here in the wilderness. We're about to die. We don't like this at all. We would rather go back to Egypt, back to slavery. Because that's where they were comfortable. That's what seemed easy to them. Being in the wilderness, we hear that God was testing them, but also that they were testing God. And that's that looking at God and saying, we want this to be our way. We think it should be this. This seems hard to us. It seems like we're out here in the wilderness dying. God, you're not actually caring for us in the way we want. And God is using that time to show them that they don't trust God. And we see that especially as part of that wilderness wandering. They go up, up on a mountain. Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and gets the Ten Commandments and gets that first commandment that says, you shall have no other gods that we just confessed a moment ago. And he comes down from the mountain and there they are. There's the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God. And right before it is a golden calf that they've made. They've broken the covenant, and Moses drops the commandments, and they shatter. Because Israel, they can see in that, they can see in that testing that they have fallen short. The testing isn't for God. The testing isn't so God can know what they're going to do and how they're going to react. It's so they can see how they react and how they need God and how they constantly turn away from God. And that problem leads to our echo where it comes back around with Jesus, who is faithful. Because we see this echo in that Jesus, right before our text today, comes from his baptism. And he comes out and and he's led out into the wilderness and the devil comes to him. And the devil's been paying attention. And the devil hears when Jesus was baptized that the father says, you are my beloved son, this is my son. And the devil sees that Jesus has been fasting for 40 days, so he knows that Jesus is hungry. And he says, hey, here's some rocks. Turn them into bread. 
That's easy enough. You're the son of God. If you are the son of God, turn these rocks into bread. Feed yourself. That's not tough. And Jesus could have done that. Yes, it's true. He's the creator of all things, so it's nothing for him to turn rocks into bread. But that's not the real temptation here. The real temptation here isn't to have a snack. The real temptation is what we see in Jesus' response is that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The temptation is to not trust that God is going to care for him, to not trust that God is providing for everything, to not look to his heavenly father for all things. So when Jesus gets done with this temptation, he's going to go on and preach the Sermon on the Mount, in which he's going to say, in one of the most famous parts that we remember, that God knows that you need bread, and he knows that you need clothes. He knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. So Jesus is acting the same way that he preaches in this text. So he quotes the word of God and says, I'm going to trust God's word, not you, devil. So that frustrates the devil, so he tries again. He takes him up to the top of the temple in Jerusalem and says, all right, so you trust the Bible. That's great. I've got the Bible here. I've got Psalm 91 open, and it says if he will command his angels concerning you, and you won't hit your foot on the ground. So jump off. If you are the son of God, jump off. But Jesus doesn't buy that, because Jesus also knows that Scripture is not for pushing God around. We have promises, but those promises aren't for us to bully God. So he comes and he says, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He doesn't push that away. He doesn't push it out, even though the devil would like to, because part of that psalm relates to our Old Testament lesson today, where it says, he shall bruise your head and you shall strike his heel. Because part of Psalm 91 also says, and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. So the devil really doesn't wants to break this psalm. He wants to make that go away. He wants to spring that trap early to get it to go away. But Jesus knows that his time has not yet come. So he responds and says, nope, not going to do it. Not going to tempt God. Not going to push God. So the devil gets really frustrated again and he draws him out and he takes him up to a high mountain, shows him all the nations of the world and their glory. And he says, this is all yours. Just fall down and worship me. Now the devil can't see the future. The devil is an angel. He's a fallen angel, but he's an angel. He's not like the other God of bad things. So he can't see the future but if he could, I would, like, he would know that he's, he's kind of hitting the spot right now. Because Jesus knows that he hasn't come to prove himself and to save himself by eating bread or by jumping off a temple and proving that God would save him there. Jesus has come for all of these nations and all their glory and all of us. He has come to take all of those and to save all of those. That's why he's here. But he hasn't come to do it by taking those easy paths of feeding himself and serving himself. He's come to do it by dying a brutal death on a cross, a painful, suffering death on a cross. And before he goes there, he goes to the garden and he prays, Father, if it be your will, Take this cup from me. 
Because that death doesn't sound like any more fun to Jesus than it sounds like to us. And we would like to go away from that. We would like to run away from that. And if it were us, when the devil comes and says, here, I can take that cup from you, we would certainly be tempted to take that, to take that deal. But Jesus isn't. Jesus gets indignant at this and says, be gone, go away. It's like when, he's at, uh, when Peter comes to him and says, you don't have to go and die at the cross. You don't have to do that. He says the same kind of thing. He says, get behind me, Satan, because you have your eye, mind on the things of men. Because we would take that deal. The devil would want us to take that deal. But Jesus knows that he's come to die on the cross, that, that that's the way to do it. It's only God that we should serve and not the other. And we would take that deal. And that's why Jesus has come, is to take that from us, because we are sinful and we don't trust in God to take care of us. Because we come and we have the same thing happen to us. We come from our baptisms, and then is life cheery and happy all the time and easy? No, we have our troubles and we have our trials and we have our temptations all the time. And it's not always as obvious as the devil sneaking up next to us and saying, hey, you should not trust the word of God. You should do this other thing because all the cool kids are doing it. It's usually more subtle than that. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's someone we know coming and saying, yeah, don't trust the Bible. That's all dumb. That's all old. That's all something people used to believe. But a lot of times it's something that we have to pay attention to when we notice ourselves trying to justify ourselves and you know, make sense of what we're doing and kind of cover it up and say, well, you know, I, I know the Bible says I shouldn't be doing this thing or looking at this or that, but it'll, it'll be good for me. You know, it'd make me happy and God would want me to be happy, so I'll, I'll go with that. You know, those are all temptations that we come through. And we don't always recognize the promises of God where we have them. And Psalms, like Psalm 91, that's a really hard one for us. That kind of thing is tough to believe because right before the part that the devil quotes, it says, um, no evil shall come near your house. No plague will befall you. And that's tough because we've all had evil come into our house. We've all had sickness of one kind or another. We've had car crashes. We've had, you know, plagues. You know, we've come through COVID and the Spanish flu and the bubonic plague. We've had the... Uh, the uh, persecutions come on us. Lots of horrible things have happened that made us look at those kind of promises and say, did you mean that, God? Did you really mean that? Did you forget? But the thing is, God hasn't forgotten. But we forget the goodness of God. We forget God's mercy that he gives to us. Because we want to turn those questions around and have all of those things early. Because we're busy asking the question, why do bad things happen to good people? But that's not the right question. The right question is, why do good things happen to sinful people? And that's only because of the cross of Christ. It's only because Christ has redeemed us and loved the world so much that he died on the cross for us that anything good happens to us at all. And when we remember that, we see the bad things that happen to us, the things that afflict us. We see those in another light, that even those are for our good. Even those are things that 
are opportunities for us to repent and see, all right, here's where I have failed to trust God. Christ, forgive me and strengthen me and look to, help me to look to you. Right before our epistle lesson today, we have something like this in Romans 5. It says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. All of these temptations are for our encouragement in, at the end of the day, even though it's hard to see. It's, it's God testing us. And that, that testing can also be a, a thought of purifying. He's straining out all the evil from us through repentance and his forgiveness and giving us new life. It's, it's kind of like that phrase, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger except that it's better in the Christian version because it's about Jesus. Because Jesus' heel, it did get hurt. It did get struck. It got struck through with a nail onto a cross. And he did die there. And it would seem like that psalm isn't true at that moment. But he died there so that in your baptism you could die with him. And he rose again so that you will rise again with him. So Jesus' death makes us stronger. And in that resurrection, when that comes, then there'll be no more pain. There'll be no more suffering. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more stubbed toes. But for now, we're waiting until we get there. We're looking there. We want all these promises too early. But Jesus knows that they only come through the cross. And so he goes to the cross. He doesn't submit to these temptations because... That's not the time. The time is to come through the cross. And we hear that, that word that the devil comes and tempts him with one more time. At the cross, the passerbys come and they look at Jesus and they say, if you are the son of God, come down from that cross. He saved others, why can't he save himself? And he could have come down from the cross. He's God, he could have but he loves you more than that. And he knows that's what you need. So he doesn't come down from the cross. He stays on the cross for you. He was hungry, but he doesn't turn loaves of bread for himself to eat, to serve himself. He gives himself on the cross. He gives his body for you to sustain you through the wilderness and to forgive you all of your sins and strengthen you as it comes. So then all of our unbelief, he unites himself to you and holds you in his trust and in his belief, bringing you through so that you're gathered around and you can always be encouraged by his word because he knows that you don't live by the bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In Jesus' name, amen.